Hey there, this is D. Yvonne Vivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Good day, everyone. My name is D. Yvonne Rivers. I'm host of Birth Moms Real Talk. We're so happy to have you today. We always bring in a birth mom to share her journey as well as we cover a hot topic, a topic that really a lot of people are not talking about. So I'm so happy to have with me today, Candace, all the way from Alaska. Welcome, Candace. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Very good. So we've gone to all parts of the world. We've been California, East Coast, West Coast, South, North. Now we got Alaska. That someone has contacted me from Hawaii also, as well as Australia. So we're global completely. (laughs) Thank you again for agreeing to come on because birth moms really want to hear from other moms. And we have the same situation we always all have been in, but all of us are different. So I always try to start out with saying, tell us a little bit about your journey, maybe just before growing up as a child and just leading to when you became that birth mom. All right. Well, I grew up in central Minnesota on a, basically on a farm. We were a pretty poor family. I had uh, four siblings uh, and I ended up being a fairly abusive family. Mm. Uh, there was uh, neglect and physical and sexual abuse and We left that area when I was 13 and kind of got away, but there was a lot of residual psychological impact from all of that. So I, as a teenager, you know, my method of coping was alcohol and drugs and promiscuity, all of that. But I did okay in school, use that as, I think I shifted from being, choosing drugs and alcohol as a method to moving to perfectionism, mm. which I've talked to a lot of other people that, that, you know, you, you try to do everything you can so that people will love you. Okay. <laughs> and so went to college, started college, um, but ended up dropping out. And that's uh, when I got pregnant. And the, my boyfriend at the time, he was also kind of teetering between college and dropping out all of that. And that's when, when we got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, though, like immediately, as soon as I knew, which I was pretty early on in the pregnancy, I, I quit any drugs, alcohol, all wow. of that, because I just, in my mind, I was like, I can choose to do those things to myself because mm-hmm. I knew that they harmed me, but I couldn't do it to another person. Right. So, so I quit and it wasn't technically hard. I've talked to other people that are serious alcoholics and addicts and how hard it was. And for me, it was like, no, I'm fine. I, I don't need it. Had you thought about quitting before? Before? Not really. Mm. No. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of just an odd situation, I guess. But but yeah, I quit and, and did seek out support therapy and things to help me with that. And my boyfriend, <laughs> he at about, I think, four months along or so, he was like, we were living together. We had moved into an apartment together and we How old were you then? How old were you? 20. I turned 20. Okay. And so we were living together and trying to kind of make a go of things. And he's like, okay, let's go see a therapist or go to counseling. Wow. Um, he together. suggested that. Yeah. Ah. And I was like, okay. You know, cause I, my family, the background, you know, all the young women, you know, teenagers getting pregnant having babies, boyfriends gone, single motherhood. I mean, that's just what everybody did. That was just mm. how, how things went along there. You don't, you didn't need the father. And in wow. fact, most of them left because they didn't want, you know, but you just, you just went forward with it anyway. Right. And so anyway, so I, I was like, great, go to counseling. He wants to try to parent, you know? And so I was like, heck yeah, I'm, I'm in. Oh. And we got there and it was an adoption agency. So I, he had, whoa. He had really stop right yeah. there. You really were expecting for the two of you to be in couples counseling and it was yeah. an adoption agency. Okay. Yeah. So I felt betrayed 
And that was kind of the beginning of the downfall of mm-hmm. our relationship. He, over the course of really just a few weeks, he made it clear that he had no interest in parenting and wasn't going to do that. And I was like, well, I, I'll do it myself. That's right. what right. all the women in my family do, you know. But I ended up continuing to see the woman at the adoption agency mm-hmm. because she kind of portrayed it as I'm just a counselor. I'm not going to. You know, you don't have to choose adoption to continue to see me. And she was this beautiful, wonderful woman. She was all the motherly things that I didn't have. And I know now that I really kind of transferred that need and desire for a mother to Mm -hmm. her. And she filled it. And that's where kind of the subtle coercion came in was, you know, using the term birth mom even though I was only, you know, six months pregnant. The counseling they did was a decision-making counseling, which looked at <laughs> the, all of the, the worksheets and programs were, ended up just pointing out that I didn't have anything. I had no education. I had no access to money. I didn't have a support system. I was destined to, to be on welfare. And Was so that the opinion these- that you were given by them? or No, it was just, it was the way that, that the worksheets were laid out okay. and like I'd come back from doing like, for example, a, a project where I needed to budget mm-hmm. for, you know, when I had the baby, how are you going to pay for rent? How are you going to do transportation? How are you going to pay for diapers and formula and, and laundry? You know I mean? All of these mm-hmm. things. And I couldn't even take care of myself at that point, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. let alone. So it was, it was done in such a way that it pointed out all of my things that were missing and not didn't at the same time give me information about how I could fix it. Right. That, so in other words, it was talking what you didn't have versus what you do have. Yeah. And what and or what I could learn to, to, do. to get okay. and learn to do. Right. So, yeah. So that was that part of it. And then at the same time pointing out, well, if you choose adoption, there's these wonderful, beautiful people that are couples and they have lots of money and education and they can give this child everything that you can't. So it was really, yeah. Like what was, I your, what was like, your first, how did that first grab you when you first heard that? Is that they can give your child what you can't give? It just, for me, it just made me more, I don't know what the quite the right term is, but I felt my, my self-esteem was already so low. Okay. It just compounded that. Mm -hmm. It just Mm -hmm. kind of put a, an exclamation point on the fact that I wasn't really very good mommy material. Yeah. According to you. Yeah. Even before, even before. Well, before, I mean, I figured that I was just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be a mom. I'm just going to be a parent. But when I went through all of this counseling, it made me think that, no, I, I, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. And at the same time, my ex now ex-boyfriend's family started pressuring me to choose adoption. And then <laughs> at about seven months long, I got a phone call because we had split up and moved away. And I had actually moved back in with my mom uh, and my family And I got a phone call from her and she was like, okay, we're going to fight you for custody. If you choose to keep this child, we're going to fight you for custody. And you don't have what it takes. Your family is, you know, white trash, um, all of these things. Right. And she, it it was horrible. And so this was the mom of your ex-boyfriend, not him. What was his stance? Oh, he did. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. And, and the, Two things came from that phone call. One, she was serious mm-hmm. in that she would fight me. It's not that she wanted to keep the baby. She just didn't want me to have the baby. And secondly- Was that said? It wasn't said in so many words. Okay. But that was, to me, the clear message. And then the second thing was, she was like, we have- So he, his family was more well off. They mm-hmm. Both his parents were- Like one was a lawyer and one was like a psychologist or something, professional people. And they were like, and we have the money, we will win. So, you know, if we fight you, we will win. And I didn't know any better. I was a very naive 20 year old. I didn't realize at the time that had I chosen to to keep my baby, I could, I could sue for uh, child support support, Mm -hmm. support and do things like that because nobody really gave me that information and I didn't know to look for it. So I just Mm -hmm. figured 
that they would they would win. And knowing my family background, um, I agreed hmm. that you know it's interesting you say yeah. that, and, and you're right. I, I've heard that a lot of the mom, maybe not being whatever kind of a family you came from of that fact of believing enough in herself and, and it not being confirmed when you went to an adoption place or a counselor or whatever of just, I call it solidifying what you do have going good. Cause everybody got something going for them, yeah. everyone. And it's like, whether you've got enough to do and raise your child. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I, you know, and looking back now, certainly hindsight, like like they say, it is 2020, but mm-hmm. looking back now, it's like, I was already a very resilient person. Okay. I was already, you know, I was independent for the most part. I had moved out of my house when I was 17. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I was smart. I just didn't always make the right choices. Okay. And, but I, I do feel like now had I been given some guidance and some opportunity to learn the skills and time to acquire them, I, I would have been okay. Right. And it took me a long time to admit that. And part of it was after I did place him for adoption, I really, you know, kind of blocked it out. You know, I, mm. I made, I was like, okay, I made this decision. It's my fault. Mm. I don't have him. So you just need to live with that. And so was that, was that pretty much for his, and I use the word blame. Did you feel like you blamed yourself for absolutely. yourself being in that position? And and no one, you didn't deserve to get help. Was that pretty yeah, much pretty what much. you were thinking? Yeah, okay. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. So you went on to have your child. Yeah. So I'm. I actually, after that phone call, that was when I pretty much decided that I would be placing for adoption. At the same time, too, I was told that I could pick the parents. So this was an early open adoption in Minnesota, and what that meant back then is I could select parents from some files. I could put together a list of priorities, um, select the parents, meet them just one time. And that gave me a sense of control in a very uncontrollable situation. So I say that again, because (laughs) a sense of control in an uncontrollable situation, which I think you just perfectly defined it. Yeah. You know, they allow you to look at some names, but it was not really in your control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it, but I, I did, I latched on to that and was like, okay, I am going to find the best people and it's, I'm going to give, I am going to try to give him everything I can. And uh, so I had selected the parents by about, I think I was maybe a little over eight months pregnant. So I'd made the decision. I knew what I was going to do. And so I, like the last month of pregnancy was the only time I just really was like paid attention to my body and right. was like, this is because you were back at home and your parents, was, that's right. I was back at home. Okay. I was living kind of in the basement, didn't have a good relationship with my mom and, you know, just kind of keep it to myself. We didn't talk about anything. Nothing. There was nothing like that. I had younger siblings. We, yeah. It, when I talk about the siblings now or with them, they're like, yeah, we don't really remember much of anything when you're pregnant. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling because I've, I've got the episode hasn't run yet. The basement. When you mentioned you, you lived in the basement, I've heard other moms said they were in the basement. So it's like not to be seen. Was that yeah. your situation yeah. too? Pretty, pretty much. I mean, it was not to be seen, but it was also, I was hiding. I didn't uh, want, okay. I didn't really want to be at home, but okay. I didn't really have anywhere else to go. Uh-huh. So, and I was very much t- just doing this all by myself. You know, right. I, I right. wasn't really getting any support from anyone. So how, yeah, so, how, how was your family? You mentioned for us, it was a lot of things going on as you were growing up. So communication, so no acknowledgement that you were pregnant or nope. what, what your decision was going to be or any of that as you Nothing. were living at home? Okay. Nothing like that. No, we didn't. No, no communication whatsoever. No. I can relate to that. That was my situation. Yeah. But I did, I, you know, I really tried to enjoy the last month of pregnancy and, mm-hmm. and it was a be- beautiful and amazing experience. And I, I really tried to kind of infuse that to that child in that was, you know, in my belly that right, right. I loved him and I really wanted to give him everything I could. So, mm-hmm. so the last month was, was really 
quite beautiful to me, even though I was alone and doing it myself. And so when he, when I went into labor, it's actually, it's funny because I went to labor like Friday morning. I had been working every, you know, up until I went into labor Mm -hmm. and I walked upstairs from the basement and my mom was sitting at the table. That's where she always sat. And I just said, I'm in labor. She goes, well, how far apart are the contractions? And I said, well, I'm not really sure. And she threw a piece of paper at me and a pen and said, start keeping track. And I was like, okay. So I went, took shower and I got ready, you know, put my makeup on and everything to get ready to go to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, they're like four minutes apart. She's like, okay, let's go. She drove me to the hospital. She came into the room with me. She spent, she was with me my entire delivery. And then I had to have emergency C-section because, Mm. you know, complications. And when I woke up from the surgery, she was there and she just looked at me and she said, he's, he's beautiful and everything is okay. Um, and actually what she had said to me before I went into the, the emergency C-section, as I'm rolling away, I was hallucinating and I was in so much pain. And, and I, the one thing I remember her saying, she says, can't women do this every day. You will be okay. And then when I came out, she said, he's fine. He's beautiful. They'd let me hold him. Mm. And then I went back out, you know, I, right. and then I woke up in my room in the hospital and no one came to visit me. I was in the hospital for like four days other than the social worker and my adoption counselor. So your mom, after you had come to for her to say she held your son, he's okay. Did she leave then? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then she didn't ever come back to the hospital. And then the, the actually the, the other people, there were two other people that visited. It was the foster parents. So he was required to go into foster care for 21 days. Okay. That was a mandatory waiting period for me to change my mind. Okay. And so those were the only people that visited me in the, the hospital, but I got to spend four days with him. Oh, so and you were able to see him yourself. Yes. Okay. So they, every day I got to spend time with him and, and I just re-evaluated everything while wow. we were together and continued to come to the same conclusion that I wasn't good enough to be his mom and mm-hmm. he needed, he needed something better. So when we left the hospital, which was the hardest thing ever was, I told the social worker, I was like, you need to let me leave him. You can't give him to the foster parents. I need to be the one to walk away. Again, trying to find control in an uncontrollable situation. I was like, don't. So we went, I remember rolling in the wheelchair. You know, that's how you have to get to the door. Mm -hmm. And she, the social worker, had him in his car seat and held back and let me leave with my friend before and I, I could see the foster parents in the queue mm-hmm. to drive up and pick up back mm-hmm. there and I didn't acknowledge them or anything I just walked away oh you know we have to breathe my my if you listen to my stories I feel I can breathe again because I felt as if I was holding all of that that you just mentioned I went through too of not anyone visiting mine was a little different for us in not choosing the parents and I didn't see him initially I, and I, I, I sort of wonder, and maybe you had four days with him. Did you talk to him to sort of tell him what was going in your mind? Because I, oh, yeah. I, I sort of did that without saying it directly to him. Yeah, I, I talked to him. I sang to him. I really tried to do everything I could to both let him know that I regretted what I was going to do, but felt that it was the right thing at right. the time. Right. Um, right. And that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So leaving the hospital, that, that, that's, that's one of our, our topics that just on the list that I think one of the hot topics, because a lot of people don't, when I say they don't talk about it, it's like, you may say it. I left the hospital. It's a whole different story because the emotions behind it and all of that, all of that. And because yeah. it's the empty arms, it's the empty arms that you have with yeah. that. So after that, after placement and after they what after 31 days, he was in foster care. So walk me up to what happened. Yeah. So so (laughs) this is where kind of the my mother comes into play much more. So I came home from the hospital. Friend dropped me off and and kind of the whole family just ignored that there wasn't a baby there. (laughs) 
You weren't like me. I came in and just announced, I have a son in case y'all were wondering, okay? Because I wasn't even asked. It's like, okay, yeah. I have a son. You don't have to talk to me, but I'm going to talk to you whether you respond back to me or not. Okay. Yeah. No, there wasn't anything. And okay. at one point in that the waiting period, what I was doing was I was, I had started a journal in my eighth month that I was putting everything together to give to him to go with him, with his family. Wow. Okay. So that I could explain to him in yeah. my words yeah. why I was doing this and what was going on in my head. And, yeah. and I had done some artwork for him, et cetera. So I was kind of doing all of that, kind of keeping to myself, but I would join the family for dinner once in a while. Uh-huh. And one night at dinner, you know, the whole, I had two brothers and a younger sister, younger brother, two younger brothers and a younger sister. And my mother and her new husband and we were having dinner and the phone rang and it was for me, it was the, the foster parents. And they, so I got up and I left the table and I went to the other room and, and they asked me if they could take him to see a doctor because he was colicky and they just, they didn't think anything was necessarily wrong. They just wanted to be sure. And they right. needed my, my permission to do right. that. So of course okay. I gave him my permission. I was like, yes, absolutely. Take him whatever you need to do to make sure he's okay. And I hung up the phone and I sat back down at the dinner table and my mom stood up, kind of threw her chair back and just furious. She was fuming. And she says, he should be here with me. Hmm. And she walked away. Now, what were you thinking with that being said? I had no idea, first of all, what was going on. I mean, everybody at the table mouth dropped. And so she had never said anything to me. And you know, when I look back now, it's like, I don't, I don't even know because we didn't talk. If she knew that I was going to do place him for adoption. I mean, I have no idea if, if I came home from the hospital without him and she just didn't know what was going on. I mean, that's how little communication there was wow. between us. It was, she, so she never asked when she knew you were pregnant, she never asked what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then when you were going into labor, she told you to keep track, but and she's held her grandson, but nothing else was said until yeah. that day. Until that day. Yes. So I was floored, of course, and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to communicate <laughs> either. So because right. I hadn't been taught how to do that. But so it just, that's where it just left it there. So a few days later was when I went into the adoptions agency to sign over my parental rights. Mm-hmm. and the baby's father had done it earlier in the morning, so we didn't have to be there together to see each other. So I signed over my rights, and I took the bus home, um, you know, crying the whole way, and got to the house and walked up the stairs, you know, just bawling. And my mom was standing at the counter, and her back sort of to me, and she just said, he's dead to me now. Who? And who? Who? Hold, hold. This is what? Earth moms go through. That's why this podcast is so important. Because this is reality you're talking about, Candace. Yeah. This is not a TV show. This is not a movie. This is real life of what you went through. So let's move on. If I can, if you can. <laughs> no, it's okay. I I so yeah, so I left. I went right downstairs and I packed a, a bag, small bag. Just enough, just the essentials to, because I couldn't stay there. There was no yeah. way that I could stay there. And I went to a friend's and I, uh, she, she was a college student. So she was mostly gone all the time, her and her roommate. She, and she just said, you stay as long as you need to. You take the couch. I will bring you food. I will do whatever, you know? And, and I did, I stayed for, I think two weeks and I don't think I left the couch. I think I, and I just grieved and grieved right. and grieved and and uh and gave myself permission right to 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 do that and then after two weeks i said okay you're done so i it's like i turned it off okay. i called the adoption counselor and i okay. said i, I was going to ask did you did you reach yeah. out for therapy i did i said i need help i need a place to stay i i can't go back to my mother's i need to find a way to move on and she, she helped me. She got me a place to stay for a week. That was kind of a retreat that just a spiritual retreat, non-denominational, which was right. wonderful. Right. And then got me into kind of a halfway house for moms, even though I wasn't technically a mom with a baby. Right. And helped me transition to get my own apartment, was, met some new people, 
trying okay. to change my life for the better. How long were um, you there? I was only there for about a month and a half. Okay. And then I met some, basically met people that were clean. So people right. that were using, people that were trying to go to college, younger people. And right. got got found a couple of people. We got an apartment together and just changed my whole life. Kind of left my family behind. Hardly ever saw them for quite a few years mm-hmm. or talked to them. And went went back to college and was like, I'm... If, if my son ever wants to find me, I want to prove that placing him for adoption gave me opportunities to make my life better. I wanted, I would, wanted him to be proud of me. Right. And the, the adoption counselor, you know, I told her, it's like, I was having a really hard time the first couple of months. And, and, and part of it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't quite move on. And she's like, well, let's meet. You can meet the parents. You can meet the parents one time. Normally they meet after the adoption is finalized so that I couldn't quote unquote change my mind. Right? right. But she convinced the parents to meet me before that date because she thought it was important for me to be able to move on. And so they came, they came with their other son also adopted. He was okay. four years old, but they didn't bring, didn't bring my son and or our son, I should say his name's Michael. And so they met with me. And so first of all, having John there, the younger, the, the brother was amazing because I got to see how he interacted with them. And it was really an excellent showcase for the, how they interacted as a family. So that gave you comfort? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so the mom and dad, uh, David and Jane, I have permission to use their names. Okay. They, so Jane, I kind of I hardly remember her at all. And looking back at it now, I think it's because I, I didn't want to acknowledge the other mother, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think she wanted to acknowledge me either. But David was this amazing, great big man, but very demonstrative in his feelings. He was, he cried. He was very caring and just a total different view of masculinity than I'd ever seen before. And it gave me a lot of comfort because I was like, okay, he'll be able to teach my son to be a kind and compassionate and caring individual, right. right? And, but anyway, David was crying and all of a sudden, John, who was coloring, he looks up and he says, oh, that's all right. My dad cries all the time. They're <laughs> tears of joy. Oh, wow. That's so great. That is yeah. so great. So I, after the meeting, I felt very relieved and assured that I had chosen well. They agreed to send updates once a year okay. around his birthday or on his birthday. And I was able to then, that was kind of when everything fell into place and I went back to college. And then in the years that followed, you know, I would get it. uh, People talk about, I know other birth moms talk about getting the updates, you know, and the the sheer joy. And like the first one I got, I remember I was pulled out of packed mail, you know, and there was Uh flyers and shoppers and all that. And then here was this nondescript white envelope. And it had the adoption agency address in the corner. Right. And I'm like, this is it. This is my first, you know. Yeah. And I ran upstairs to my in my room and I shut the door and I <laughs> really blocked everything out. And I pulled out, you know, this, this beautiful handwritten letter. And there were like six photographs. And, oh, wow. And I laid them all out and I just soaked them in. Right. And then I just, the just stared at them. Right. You just yeah, stared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and read the letter and, and just all of the fields, right? And then I very carefully refolded the letter when I was done and I put everything back in the envelope. I tried to make sure nothing was ripped or (laughs) broken, no jagged, you know, just really like turning this into a sacred. That's um, a a cherished treasure you had. Yeah. That's a treasure. Yeah. And that's that's what I would do every time I would get an update. I would exclude myself and then I'd pull out once I got through the update, then I pull out the other letters and other photographs and I create this collage okay. on the floor around me so I could look at the progression of his ages and what he was doing and and just, yeah. And that it became a ritual-like okay. thing that, that I did. And in the first couple of years, it was something I did often right. because that's what I needed but I always kept it. It was just mine. I didn't share it with anybody yeah. else. Yeah. And I kept it separate from his personal. 
it's yep. personal. It really yep. is. Yeah. Yes. So how old is he now and have you been in reunion or what's the status right now? So we reunited when he was 18. So back um, in 2008, okay. um, he, I, I got a, so they actually they, they quit sending updates at about age eight. Okay. And I, again, technically gave permission for them to not send updates if they didn't want to, because they kept getting later and later. And I kept having to go through the adoption agency to ask them to send them. And I, and I started feeling like, well, I'm this third wheel and I'm making their life hard. They've already proved that they're doing a really good job. I don't need proof anymore. So in order to, again, find control in an uncontrollable situation, I sent them a letter that said, if, if, if you don't want to send updates, you don't have to, because like every year, the later and later they got, it would, it was destroying me and I couldn't set myself up to be hurt every year. So that's why I did that. So, so you felt again, into, my fault. if you tell them, don't send them, you wouldn't be expecting them. And right. It, hurt would be right. Okay. So it was, it was again, my fault that the update stopped. Mm-hmm. So I got one two days before his 18th birthday and it was huge. It had like 40 photos in it, I think, and, you know, five page letter. And it was very intense. And in the letter, I just found out that Jane, his adopted mom, had committed suicide when he was 10. And I... So that was prior to, because it was eight, he was age eight when the letters stopped, yes. right? So okay. I didn't know. Okay. Um, that's okay. when I found out. And, and I, my initial reaction was, I felt very betrayed. It was, it was about me. It wasn't, I feel a great deal of grief for the family for having lost her. But my first, very first initial reaction was I chose poorly. So it and went back to you. Yes. Your fault. My responsible fault. for choosing someone yes. Yes. without you even having any say or control on what they did. Yeah. But you still felt like you yep. were responsible. But I blocked that out because the letter also contained a phone number for me to call. So I called pretty much right away. My my husband he came home from work and I was like this is what's happening there's a you know and he sat with me and we talked about it he's like okay are you ready to call and I'm like yeah I'm ready to call so I told me my back up a little bit so when did you get married how long had you been married and did you have other children so no other children my husband Tom and I uh, actually Tom is the only person other than a few family members who actually felt my tummy when I was pregnant so Tom wow. and I have known each other for a very long time. We were friends oh, okay. like in high school. Okay. And he had seen me during that one month when I was the last month of pregnancy, uh-huh. when I was really enjoying my pregnancy. I saw him at the mall. He came home for Christmas and he's like, oh my God, you're pregnant. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he's like, wow, I had no idea because we hadn't talked in well right, over right. a year. And he came over to my mom's house to the basement and he sat with me and he's like, well, what are you going to do? And I told him. I was placing for adoption and he just was absolutely supportive, right. non-judgmental, okay. sat with me while I cried, just was this okay. amazing person and really gave me the only kind and loving touch that I had gotten for months. He's like, after we talked for a while, he, he literally, his hands, he went up like this and he goes, can I hold your belly? I mean, like, so, so just asking permission before right. he even touched me. And it's just so thoughtful. So by anyway. getting, by getting that from him and him validating you and, and caring for you, did that, did I give you any indication or confirmation that you're good? I don't know what was, what's, what's the word? Because I'm, I was hearing you say before, as if you weren't good enough, did, yeah. did his confirmation sort of let you know that I, I'm really okay. I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah, he was, his, just that one short get together that we had was a very, very positive experience for me and made me feel very good. And so, yeah, years later, when we reconnected again, I was like, I think almost five years later, that's when we started dating. And I'm fairly certain that that single meeting, although we had a relationship before that, that was very good. That meeting taught me a lot about who he was and that he was somebody I would like to have in my life. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so we got married. He's one of your angels. I think we have our angels. I had my angel. He was your angel. 
Yes, he was definitely my angel and he still is. And he, so yeah, so he's, when that letter came, he's like, yep, if you're ready to call, I'll be right here, you know? And, and so I talked to Michael's adopted dad, David, for a while until finally I couldn't stand it anymore. I was like, is Michael there? Can I talk to him? (laughs) We talked on the phone very briefly because neither one of us knew what to say. I mean, how do you do this? Right. And then he, Michael asked, he's like, well, let's, let's do emails. Let's start to learn each other through emails. And I was like, that's great. You know? So that was in 2008 in 2010. And his, his communiques were very sporadic and I struggled immensely with the desire to just smother him, to, to, to fly there, to see him, to hold him, to love him, to learn everything about him. And my husband and his adopted dad, David, and all the literature, because I started reading them yep. when I was first connected yep. with some of the birth mom groups. And they're uh-huh. like, you need to let him have control. You need yeah. to let him set the pace and decide yep. how the relationship grows. And it just about killed me, right? And two, then in 2010, so two years later, I got a, a, an email that said, would you like to meet? And I'm like, <laughs> That yes. moment in time, I think we all remember that. <laughs> it's like yes. mine came in a, a, a post on a social media in response to a message I'd sent nearly three years prior. Mm. So it's like, yeah. hi. It was just hi, HR. Hi. Okay. Hi. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So just amazing. So Tom and I re- went down to Minnesota. And then we went to his house with his, so his adopted dad was there and, and Michael was there and, and we had a beautiful day. It was wow. like, like one of the most beautiful days of my whole life. And he was me. He was a bigger, broader, boyish version of me in okay. like every way. Okay. And at the same time, he was just like his adopted dad. Um, you know, I know you've talked before on the podcast, you know, the nature and the nurture. I mean, uh-huh. he, it was it was so evident in so many ways, but it was beautiful. We had a wonderful day. And, you know, when we got done, uh, Michael was like, yep, yeah, I'd, I'd like to meet your siblings because he didn't have he had lots of aunts and cousins that were female, but he didn't have very many male relatives and he wanted to meet like my brothers, right? Right. And I'm like, this is great, you know? So when we got done with that, I was so excited. I was like, okay, next fall, when we come back down to Minnesota, we'll have, get together with my family and with the brothers and all that. So I was so excited, but the communiques dwindled again. Mm-hmm. And he quit texting and he quit emailing. And I was just, again, the whole thing distraught and was like, mm-hmm. I just want, I want, I want. And my husband, Tom, he's like, you need to give him a break. He's 20 years old. He's a kid. The last thing he wants to do is talk to his mom of any any mom. Probably if you raised him as a 20-year-old, they don't want to talk to their mother. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and Tom was like, yeah, I didn't talk to my mom forever when I was in college. You know, I came home to do laundry. That was it. You know? So he was just really, again, really supportive and very common Mm -hmm. sense and smart. And and, uh, so I was like, okay. So I just, I took what I could get, the few texts, the few yeah. emails. Um, yeah. when he, and then in two years later, in 2012, he sent me a, an email that said, are you on Facebook and would you like to be friends? And I was so excited because he, could, he, he couldn't find me because my husband and I share a Facebook. Oh. So we don't have our last names on there. So he couldn't uh-huh. find me. So we connected and it was amazing because now <laughs> I could basically learn everything about yeah. him through his See Facebook. what he's doing, yes. And without having to ask him or demand mm-hmm. anything from him. And it mm-hmm. was amazing. I learned so much. And he was such a great young man. And he was, yeah, he, it was so, so good. And and then, you know, so it, it fulfilled a need that I had to get to know him with, mm-hmm. without having to re- wait for him to, to contact me. Because he would just, it was very sporadic again. Right. In 2013, that spring, he sent me a Happy Mother's Day text okay. for the first time. And that was pretty much all I said was Happy Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And That's a breakthrough July, right there. Yeah. That's a yeah. breakthrough. Whether it's a text or just a smiley or thinking of you, that's a breakthrough. Yeah. Yes. And I tried to do that regularly. I would yeah. send, you know, text or emails, just little things that didn't demand anything. From right. Me. Just, I'm thinking of you. And uh-huh. I hope that's you're doing it. well. And, no demand, you know, not asking anything. But just letting him know mm-hmm. that, that he's on my mind. Right. And I'm going to let him have control. You know? Right. And then in July of 2013, he um, died in his sleep. 
and yeah, no so warnings, never, nothing, complications. No, no, nothing. No, there's no, it, they say natural causes. Um, so, so my life basically fell out. Um, his adopted dad contacted us. And so we were, we were in Alaska. And so it's so hard to get anywhere. From yeah. Alaska. I was wondering, I was, and, that was my question. Were you able to go to a memorial service or anything? Yeah, so we were in a small town in Alaska, and it was the 4th of July, mm-hmm. and we couldn't get out because there were no planes. Mm-hmm. And we lucked out. We found a friend who had a plane who took us to Juneau. We got on a flight there to Seattle. We got to Seattle to Minnesota. We actually made it down to Minnesota the fastest we've ever achieved. It was under 12 hours. And so we were meant, I think, to be there. Yes, and, yes. And so we... We arrived and I ended up, we went to my brother's house where my siblings had gathered. And so it was, you know, midnight or so. And, and they were like, you know. So they never got to meet him, but they, they, they knew that him. you had connected with him. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And, you know, they were like, you know, a couple of them weren't going to come to the funeral. A couple were. My sister, my younger sister was like, well, and, and mom's going to drive down. And I was furious mm. i was like because right we haven't heard about mom all yeah. these years so and, yeah and i was like i do not want mom there she does not deserve to be there i was so angry at her and and my siblings were like you can't stop her from going it's her grandchild they didn't know they had no idea what oh okay so you you really us. never shared that no. conversation and they had no and idea. and i couldn't at that point i was i was so in so much grief and so angry, it's like I couldn't even tell him, you know. Um, so we, my husband and I, went to David's house um, before the memorial, and he welcomed us in. He was like, "You are a part of the family. You need to be here." Um, his entire family, him, uh, John, his son, um, his new wife, they were like, "You are his mom." And every person we met, they introduced me. Like, this is Michael's mom. Wow. And it was the, you know, it was like, it took so long um, yeah. to get there. And he was, how, were, he was, at what age was he when he passed? 23. 23. Okay. So his family was amazing. And we spent, you know, the next two days with them and, and he, him and his whole family very well respected in their community. So there were like over 300 people at his funeral. And it was just this amazing um, family. gathering and they put me right up in front me and Tom we were right with them the whole with everything so my mother did come my siblings were able to keep her kind of away from me which I'm very grateful for Um, but we just being there and having been welcomed um, as part of Michael's family made it made it so so amazing and my husband Tom so supportive he just helped me in every single step of the way and then since then, just I reliving all the grief. I mean, I, I, yeah. I thought I had tr- tried to do some things to process the grief of the adoption. Right. No, I really didn't. Yeah. So it all yeah. came out again. So since his death, I've, I've done a whole lot more work. Um, okay. Because what would happen is, you know, people would be like, so, so you, you have a son and, I, and I, my son died, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'd be like, well, tell us about it. But I didn't know anything about him. So right. that just brought up a whole new level of grief. Right. And, and right. it just was this cyclic thing, right? Yeah. And I felt so lost. And I would try to, you know, go to, to websites. Because, again, I'm in Alaska. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't have access to support systems. So I was trying to do things online. And, you know, and again, it was always, you know, I tried with parents who had lost a child. And I tried with birth moms. But I just, I didn't feel like I fit anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So about four months after he passed... I was like, you know what? There's one person that knows exactly how I feel. Mm-hmm. And that's David, mm-hmm. his adopted dad. Mm-hmm. And I emailed him and I just, I laid it all out. And I was like, I am so lost. And I'm so, I just, I'm so grief stricken. Yeah. And we both had these two. We lost people. our son. Yeah, we lost our son. Yeah. And I lost him twice. And David had yes. two extreme losses as well. So yeah. we just... We emailed back and forth. We connected with each other. He invited me and Tom down in the fall to come stay with them for a few days. And we, 
visited his gravesite and we went through his room and Michael's room and David just kept giving me things and filling my arms because, you know, the way that I describe it is that he was filling my arms with things that were Michael because he knew that I was craving that so much. And so we really just connected in our grief and we, we have since then, we continue to do that. And that's the thing is, and I I say this actually the episode that that ran this past week, the reporting is you'll always be a mom. We're always a mom, whether we raise our child or not, whether our child is still with us or not, or that a lot. We're always a mom and that's not going to change. I think the key thing too is, as you say, reach out and get that comfort from people who may understand, understand. Because I, I say in, in the birth mom in the community of adoption, the community, the triad or whatever, unless they understand that just as that the moment we had when you, you when your mom said that that broke me because that's the reality of the hurt and the grief, the trauma and all that this whole process is. And adoption is lifelong. It doesn't end at a certain time. It does not end. Let me ask you, Candace, of all the things you've been through, and I heard you talk about it the first of, uh, first of the podcast, of you not feeling like you deserve or whatever. How do you feel about yourself now? I feel like I still have a lot of times where I feel like everything that happened is my fault, mm. that I put the, the word fault on it, which to me has does have negative connotations. Yeah. Yeah. And I what I do then is I try to refocus my energy okay. or my Go thoughts ahead. and be like, first of all, I did the best I could yes. at the time. Yes. I have done a lot of good things since then. Mm-hmm. I got to see him. I got to hold That's him. I got to tell him I love him. Yes. I got to do all these things that a lot of people don't get a chance. Yes, to that's true. That is so um, true. I am a good person. Yes. And... Yeah, so I, that's where I try to reshift my focus. Yeah. And, and and I'm glad to hear that because back again, we all have our purpose in life. My purpose, the mission behind this podcast is to uplift, help heal, and empower birth moms around the world. We, you, I, all of us are good enough for whatever we did the best we knew how at that point in time. And I can't tell people where to go or how not to go back there, but looking now and being grateful for the blessings we do have. And of course, there's things we wish we had, but we didn't. And we did the best we knew how. So I just grieve your loss with you of losing your son to death. We both lost, we all lost our children, but it's like in seeing them again or reunion again. And we talk about one time, two times loss. It's we've got to have that strength. And the comfort comes from people who understand. So, so the birth moms listening, the adoptive parents listening, the adoptees listening, just understand that that we place because we loved. It was not we didn't want. It's because of the love. And love never changes. It's everlasting. It's long-suffering. It never changes. So... I see you building yourself up and I speak to you today is that of the grief you're going through of being able to reach out, allow this podcast and the support groups. And we now have the village to help heal because we all are healing throughout our lifetime. We all are healing. Oh, thank you for sharing so intimately and candidly with us today. And as we talk about, we normally try to choose a topic or whatever to that's relative to the adoption or the adoption community. What particular topic you'd like to cover today? I think that it's important for people to know and understand and really embrace the fact that adoption is not just one thing. It's not beautiful. It's not tragic. It's all of the things. And there's the, the, you know, there's going to be loss because it automatically begins with the loss. It begins mm-hmm. with a woman being separated from her child. Mm-hmm. But there can be beauty in it as well. Yes. That there can be subtle grace. There yes. can be 
camaraderie. There can be so yes. many things if you're willing to be open to that Absolutely. and allowing the space for both, the continuum right. yeah. of the sadness and the beauty together. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned before, is the grief itself is a trauma. And it's a trauma for, for, for everyone. The adoptee is, is non-preverbal. Yes. They don't have, they can't talk. They can't talk about that break in that bond. And that birth bond is forever and lifetime. You can never go back and break that bond. But that child incurs it without knowing it. The adoptive parents, a lot of times, have their own grief which is a lot of times why they adopt, because they can't have their own. Initially, sometimes they'll go on and have other children, but there's grief. There's grief. Grief starts all of this. I'll put it that way. It does. And it's like dealing with the trauma. And and, and first of all, I, I truly believe is that you, to deal with something, you have to acknowledge it's there. That's what you, I'm hearing you say. Yep, acknowledge absolutely. it's there. Then you can deal with it. In my company, in my business, I, I do a training I call the, it's called the conflict resolution, but I use an acronym of ICE, I-C-E. You have to identify what it is. You have to confront it. Then you can eliminate it, the I-C-E. But until you be brutally honest, which is hurtful, painful, but I do use another analogy. When we were kids, we scuff our knees or whatever, and there was always this iodine or whatever you put on it, but it'll burn a little bit more before it could heal. And that's what we do with sharing of our stories. It's painful sharing the stories. I, I talk about the roller coaster. Sometimes my roller coaster is off the hook and it's, it's got me hanging on with my hair swinging in the wind. When other days is calm and sometimes I don't know necessarily what the day is going to be, but I'm ready for it. And we just give ourselves what we need. Yes. Any last uh, thoughts or sayings tonight? I appreciate what you're doing here. I think that connecting with both other birth moms and other people in the triad um, has helped me come a lot further in my recovery and my um, ability to, to be willing to look at everything in my life. It's so important for us to be able to hear stories that we can connect to. Yes. Um, because I think for a lot of us as birth moms in particular, We've done it alone. Yes. And we, do, and we don't need to do it alone. Yeah. So I, again, yeah. I really appreciate your the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we have been talking to Candace today from Alaska. It's been, oh, thank you so much, Candace. Heartbreaking, uplifting. We've shared tears. We've shared laughs and smiles. And that's what this is all about. So you've been listening to Birth Moms Real Talk. I'm your host, D. Yvonne Rivers. Please listen and please share the episodes. We are in this together, ladies. A triad, adoption, adoptive parents, adoptees. Let's listen to the perspective of each other. That's how we can get to grow and know each other. We'll see you next time. so much for listening into Birth Moms Real Talk, where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then. 